Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my good friend Greg Cosell. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, we were making the small talk uh, as we were getting ready to record. You said you're watching Bill's film right now. You're taking a break from that to do the podcast. That's a good starting place because they've got the feature game this week against Miami. And I figured let's just start there and jump off. Side of the ball, let's go Bill's offense versus Dolphins defense yeah. right now. Yeah, the Dolphins' defense. Uh, did you get a chance yet this week to watch uh, the Dolphins' uh, defense? I yeah, I did. I've seen I've seen almost every one of their snaps this season, and I I saw the most recent one. Not the not the best outing for them at Baltimore. Uh, no, no, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, that did not seem like a, a Vic Fangio type performance. There were a lot of assignment mistakes. They really struggled with motion quite a bit. Um, you know, taking nothing away from Lamar, you still have to make throws, and and not everybody goes eighteen for twenty one for three twenty one. So you, you're not you're not going to take anything away from that kind yeah. of performance by Lamar Jackson. But there were an awful lot of easy throws in that game, uh, where there were no defenders anywhere near receivers. Um, and I was really struck by that. You certainly know more about the the Vic Fangio style defense than I. So I'd be curious as you were watching that, what thoughts were going through your head. Yeah, no, the same thing. And I, I mean, I knew it would be ugly because you know the score of the game coming in when you're watching watching the film. But, um, you know, sometimes – and that game had a little bit of it where it was actually close and then they get the the, the interception right at the middle uh, or at the end of the half and Baltimore gets a long return in there as well. And this kind of the score swung wildly in the middle right. of the game. That changed the dynamic of the game. But I agree with you. I thought from start to finish it was not a good-looking Dolphin, especially considering how good the Dolphins looked in previous weeks, the Dallas game on Christmas Eve and the week yeah. before that, that's been a sound secondary. I think one thing, Baltimore does a better job with motion than people realize. And if you're not, you know, one guy's wrong on motion defensively, you're going to make them all wrong most of the time. And with that scheme, there's so many site adjustments and little tools built into everything. The motions can be a real challenge depending on what your sites and tools are. If you're going to check to something out of, against three by one and they motion a two by two and now you're checking to something else you know those kind of things stress a defense and demand communication and the dolphins did not we don't know exactly how their communication's going but they were not on the same page throughout that game on the back end especially no not at all and and obviously it cost them with some long plays um but uh you know, I think they're, they're also down some important players. Um, we're, we're talking on a Wednesday evening. Um, it's my understanding as of now, I guess we still have time until Sunday night, that Xavier Howard may not go. Uh, so it appears that Eli Apple will be the outside corner in their, um, in their nickel. They play Kohu as their outside corner in their base. And assuming they do that, they may leave Apple out there even in base because, as, as I'm sure you recall, when they played the first time, I'm talking about the Bills and the Dolphins, Kohu was playing outside because they did not have Jalen Ramsey on the roster at that time. And Kohu was playing on the outside and the Bills went after him in that game and really ate him up. Diggs had a big, big game in that game going after Kohu and Kohu could not handle it. So right. if, yeah. if Howard cannot go, we don't know the answer to that, but it would not surprise me if Apple stayed outside in all of their packages. Of course, the other factor now is pass rush, losing Bradley Chubb. They'd already lost Jalen Phillips. 
Does that mean Melvin Ingram is going to play more snaps? I don't think he's looked particularly good in the two games, I think, that he's played. Uh, maybe it's three, I can't remember. But I don't think he's looked particularly good. So now you're getting into a situation where their pass rush could be lacking as well. Yeah, and I agree with everything you just said. I think Ingram, he looked out of shape the first yep. game or two. And I, like, to enough that I was checking the number, like making sure it's Melvin Ingram I'm looking at. He's always had those quick, fast, violent hands. You know, I don't know if we're if we'll see that or not, but they basically have to rely on him. The other thing then is I assume Van Ginkle's going to have to play on the ball more, which I get the sense from watching this team. You know, David Long has always been one of those players that pops on film but doesn't stay on the field. He's he's kind of an up and down player. Uh, Duke Riley's a little bit similar. I get the sense they yep. prefer to have Van Ginkle off the ball a little more. And they probably will not be able to do that now because they're down their edge rushers. You're, if if Howard doesn't go in this game, I, I I would almost guarantee you Ramsey will travel then with Stephon Diggs based on how they've used Ramsey and how that how I know he would want to play. Well, the challenge, it's interesting to hear you say that. Great job of getting Diggs off of matchups by motioning him. Yes, and you know, but the other interesting thing, and you know, we're not in the in the Bills facility so we don't know the answer to this but Diggs has not played as many snaps in recent weeks and I don't know if this is the game where they say hey you have to be uh, you know an important player and a big time player for us you know because obviously they're going down to Miami um, you'd expect Miami to score at home you know Miami struggles a bit on the road but at home they normally score um, so we'll see but you know the other thing is is as is, is I've watched all of Josh Allen's career and, you know, we've seen him get better and better and better to the point where many would consider him, you know, a truly elite player. But he's a certain kind of player. You would not really call him a precise player in terms of how he plays from the pocket. And, you know, there's always there's always throws in games where he drops back, he breaks down and he leaves the pocket prematurely, not allowing the route concepts to develop and letting the pass game work for him. Um, and I think, you know, at times that's a problem. And he ends up, you know, breaking down his, his own offense. And yes, he can make those special Josh Allen plays. But my sense is in this particular game, he is going to have to be sharp both mentally and physically. He missed some throws last week that we really haven't seen him miss very often. He admitted after the game that he threw the ball like crap, to use his word. And that was probably true when I, you know, I probably have five plays left in the game. So I've seen the large majority of his throws. Um, but, uh, you know, he's he's not what you'd call a true timing anticipation player. And, uh, you know, now that he's played, what, six years in the league, you know, you'd like to think that he could be working more in that direction because he does leave some throws on the field. And, you know, we've had this conversation over the years about quarterbacks that have great second reaction movement ability, and he certainly is one of those players. And how you coach those guys when they leave throws on the field. In other words, they don't – they either leave the pocket prematurely or they don't let the, the, the offense work for them and they don't throw to receivers within the structure of the play design? You know, I, it's it's a very hard question to answer. Well, yeah, when you have a star player, a guy that makes star plays and, and, and doesn't execute the offense to a T, how do you coach that? Because you don't right. want to take the instinct – kind of – you don't want to take the instinct out of them, but you right. got to run the offense. And what's that happy medium? And it's it's 
difficult guys to deal with, not personally, just talking like the athlete, the, the, the football right. player side of it. You've got five plays left in the game and you started the podcast. That's got to be driving you absolutely nuts to be that close to the yeah, yeah. point. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, would, uh, yeah, but I mean, I've seen the majority. It's funny because just it was 27-21 and they had the ball second and uh, 14 from their own 10-yard line. So, you know, we're in a situation where they, if they have to punt, you know, theoretically, I mean, not theoretically, it's a one-score game. They could lose this game. He actually made what I thought his best play and throw of the game was. I don't know if you've seen this tape yet, but he hit Shakir for 18 yards on second and 14 with about 10 minutes to go from the from his own 10-yard line. And I thought that was his best play and throw because of the timing and anticipation with which he threw against zone coverage. He actually started his delivery before his receiver even began his break, and then he took him into the open zone window. And that's normally not the kind of throw that you see Josh Allen make. Yeah, no timing and anticipation throw. Yeah. Um, have you seen the other side of the ball for them? I have not. Yeah, no, I was going to wait. Right. New England's one of those. I mean, no disrespect, but they're they're not a they're, matchup show offense this year. You're, I don't, are you going to watch it? No, they're they're you know being honest because you know as as you and I know because there's only so many hours in the in the week. Um, you know, and obviously I have to do the matchup show. That's my main job here at NFL Films. So you know I have responsibilities. New England's offense is usually not near the top of my list to get to get to every week. Yeah, no, I under, I understand that. How about the Dolphins' offense? I'm sure that's a, a weekly one. I do, yeah, I, I see that every week. I, that that's actually my first thing tomorrow morning. But I have not gotten to that yet. Uh, okay. You know, it's funny. There's certain. I mean, one of these teams that I'm going to mention if they win, they're in, and the other is just because it's been talked about a lot. But I really kind of started the week because I was fascinated by watching Justin Fields and Jordan Love. Both have played better in my assessment. 30,000 foot view. I mean, Fields has played better. Love is a guy I like a lot. What's your thoughts Me on too. him? Yeah. Yeah. Fields is, you know, everybody starts to ask me, well, what would you do if you're the Bears? You know, that's an impossible question to answer because you have to be in the building and around Justin Fields every day to know, you know, sitting and watching tape obviously tells you a lot, but with a quarterback, you have to know far more than that. But he's another guy, you know, we just spoke about Josh Allen in some ways, you know, I mean, he's he's similar but different. You know, a couple of things I, I typed as I finished watching Justin Fields. I, I assume you've seen enough of him, you know, the last couple of years, right? I mean, you've seen, you know, if it's not oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen most of their snaps. This I didn't see the Arizona film. I'm going to watch the Atlanta film. I, I I saw most of their snaps leading into these games, though. What I would say with Fields, and here's what I typed after I was finished, and I've watched every game because he's a guy that I really need to see, and I, I you know, in an odd way, I really like watching him. Believe it or not. Um, I shouldn't say in an odd way. He's a, he's a fun guy to watch. But I'd say, so what you would be concerned about with Fields as you look ahead is his overall field vision and his capacity to process with the needed speed and clarity from the pocket. His elimination and isolation traits are not where they need to be at this point. The question is how much of a sliding scale do you feel comfortable with given his high-level playmaking dimension? And I said he shows flashes of working through progressions and processing correctly within the structure and timing of the route concepts and combinations. Again, how much of a sliding scale can you live with and how much do you feel he can improve? That's kind of the way I, I see him overall, you know, and I don't know yeah. if you sort of feel the same way when you watch him. 
I absolutely feel the same way. I thought early in the year there were a lot of instances where the process and elimination was not close to where it needed to be. I remember the Correct. Tampa game in particular. That may have been there. Was that their first game? That was really early in the year. I'm looking yeah. here. Second game. Their second game of the season. It was at Tampa. But there, there have been there, Chicago's had some really good designs. One of the things I do for the coaches' newsletter for 3013, Greg, is look for yeah. great play designs that aren't going to show up on the cutups that coaches watch regularly. The Bears are in contention every week for multiple snaps. They've had some really well designed plays that, for a variety of reasons, and Fields has been part of that, have not been executed. I felt like in the middle of the season there, we started seeing a little bit of Fields turns a corner and kind of maintains it a little bit, but there were snaps, I forget if it was the Cleveland game or, or the week before, but snaps where I thought he kind of reverted back a little bit too to also being a touch slow. So much of these, as you know, Greg, and, and you know, it's the ability to see what's not open is as important as the ability to see what is open. And that's where I think you get an inconsistency from field sometimes where he doesn't see what's not going to be open. He has to watch it be covered to know he has to get off the read. And that's how you get slow progression reading at times. Well, and it's funny you say that because that's why, and I, maybe I'm not the first person to come up with this term, but that's why I, I, a number of years ago, started talking more about elimination and isolation as opposed to processing. It's essentially the same thing. I just think it's a little more descriptive because you hit it right on the head. You have to eliminate what's not there within the structure and timing of the play, you know, and then go to what is there, meaning isolate what is there all within the structure and timing. And that, that could be two seconds, 2.5 seconds. So if that gets, if you're a fraction late, that's a big deal in the NFL. And I think sometimes when we watch quarterbacks, you know, and I, and I study a lot of college quarterbacks, obviously more so than you, but even in the NFL, when you see the quarterbacks that just take that extra fraction or extra beat to eliminate what's not there, that really then hurts them when they try to get to what is there. Then they're a beat late making that throw. And, you know, I think that's where Fields clearly has to continue to improve. He shows flashes that he can do it, um, but, you know, it's not consistent enough. And I also, one of the things, and again, I don't know their coaching staff. You may know the coaching staff. Um, Luke Getzey's the OC. I don't know who the quarterback coach is. But one of the things, and I'm a stickler for this, and this is what I learned when I was fortunate to spend a lot of time with Bill Walsh, is when he drops back, he tends to hop rather than plant. Okay? And that takes an extra half second. And that that half second is a meaningful, it, it's an enormous amount of time in the NFL. You know, you need to drop back and plant and then be ready to throw as opposed to hop because then that extra that extra sort of plant to deliver the football, that's time. And you don't get that kind of time in the NFL. Yeah, that's a great, great analysis. That's a great point. Andrew Janikos, our QB coach, I do not know him. I've met Luke Getze. I wouldn't claim to know Luke Getze. Those defensive guys I've gotten to know a little bit. Um, you know, by the way, their defense, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, Greg, but their defense. They're phenomenal. It's been phenomenal since since week five, I think it was, when Eberflus took over the play calling. It's been it's been top ten in most of the major statistical and, and, categories. And it's funny you say that, and that's one reason. And, again, I'm just giving my personal opinion. I'm not in the building. I could be dead wrong. But it's one reason why I do not believe they are going to draft a quarterback because 
right now, if you're Matt Eberflus, who's going to be back, okay, you know, the defense is playing great. They're winning games. They're competitive every single week now. Um, you know, do you want to start over? I mean, yeah, right. you, you have a really good defense. You've got a back that I really liked coming out of Virginia Tech and Herbert, who I think, given the style of quarterback that Fields is, Herbert will work fine. You probably want to shore up your O-line a little bit, although they have some young players who I think will be good players. You know, you probably want some more weapons on the outside. But do you want to start over? You know what you have with Fields. Stylistically, if you have a really good defense, you know, a quarterback like Fields, because it is a bit of a sliding scale, he works because you're not going to give up 30, 35. You know, he's not going to have to put up 35 every week. Yeah, no, and then some of those guys, those second reaction players, we saw this with Russell Wilson for a long time. Yeah. You know, the playmaking, and I don't know why Why would this be, but it feels like these teams that, that, that have good defenses and then they're going to be run-oriented, the playmaking seems to matter more with them almost at times. Like, like there's more – I don't know if that's the illusion of things. Right. But, you know, the Seattle model, where it's going to be 24-20 in the fourth quarter and the ball is going to be in Justin Fields' hands. And we're going to see them running around. And I think in those scenarios, you're as an offense, you're comfortable with that in those particular scenarios a lot of the time. Yeah, and it's funny because we all say, and we hear coaches say it, you and I have talked about it over the years. It, it's said as gospel, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying, what does everybody say about quarterbacks? Well, you got to throw from the pocket. You got to be able to do that. And And no one's going to say, no, you don't have to be able to do that. But there's no question that, you talk to defensive coaches, okay, and they really they can pontificate for a long time about quarterbacks that, in a sense, there's two plays with every drop back, and it's really hard to defend because there's the structure of a play, which goes to 2.5 seconds, and then there's what happens after, and that's really, really difficult for defensive coaches to deal with. So, again, we're not saying that offensive coaches should roll the ball out and tell, say to their quarterback, let's just run around and see what happens. That's not the point. But the point is, so you get into the fourth quarter of games and someone like Justin Fields can be difficult to play against, just like yeah. Russell Wilson was. Russell Wilson could have had a bad three quarters, and all of a sudden you get in the fourth quarter, and because he had the Legion of Boom and a great defense, and let's say they're trailing 13-10, but nobody wanted to play against Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter. Well, it's interesting. I, a few weeks ago, we talked about this. I looked into sandlot plays based on time to throw and did the QB right. scramble or not. And it, there's no doubt that defensive coaches are uncomfortable with sandlot yes. plays. They want to know where the variables are going to be, they, and especially the one holding the ball. And if that guy's running around, you're not building your defense for that. You can't. There's no, there's no center point to build around there. So defensive coaches hate it. And having said that, offensive coaches hate it too because the numbers are very clear Offenses that operate on schedule from the pocket perform 50% better in Correct. almost every way than, than the running around plays. It just doesn't look as dynamic sometimes. Um, what what I wonder about and what I'm going to look into now is I wonder if it's different in the fourth quarter, the Sandlot plays, just you and me talking. The intellectual yeah. side of me says, no, no way, of course not, but I'm going to look into that. Well, the and of, yeah, go the ahead. The other thing that I was going to say is the reason that you always hear coaches say, 
we want to keep Josh Allen in the pocket. We want to keep Mahomes in the pocket. We want to keep Lamar in the pocket. Is not because they can't play from the pocket. I think sometimes fans take that the wrong way, Andy. They think that a coach is saying that, oh, what does he think, Mahomes can't throw? No, that's not the point. The point is, if you can keep a guy in the pocket, you can stay within the structure of your defense that you practiced all week. Once they get out of the pocket, you can't stay within the structure of your defense that you practiced all week. And coaches want to stay with what they practiced all week. They don't want the game to become random and improvised. They want to be able to stay within structure. So even though we know that Mahomes can can be great from the pocket or Allen can make great throws from the pocket or Lamar Jackson can do that, we know that. But that's not... They're not saying that they can't do that. They just want to be able to stay within what they've been able to practice all week. Yeah. You know, the interesting part with fields too, Greg, is I wonder a little bit when it's – so to me, the talent's obvious. So I, the decision's probably going to come down to do we believe he can be a faster, more consistent processor from the pocket? That's right. probably what's going to decide if they keep him or go draft somebody else. And I wonder if the answer to that question, more than certain other questions, hinges a little bit on the day-to-day with him. Because seeing him in the building, watching yes. the NFL, watching the practice, because you're kind of having to project a little bit there. If you're just going off of right now, he's probably not quite where you want him to be. But there are not a lot of guys with his talent, and it's reasonable to think he might get to where we want to be. What would convince us of that? And now we're probably talking about how is he behind the scenes as much as out in front of the scenes. And that gets into what you said, the coaching and the stuff that we don't have access to. Right. And that's why that's why I can't answer the question with certainty. All I can say is if you choose to go in a different direction, you're starting over to some degree. And, you know, again, people can then say, well, look at C.J. Stroud. They didn't start over. Yeah, but I mean, you just don't know with a young quarterback. You just yeah. don't know with a rookie. I mean, look at you know. Bryce Young. They did start over, and they're probably, if we're going off and now, they're going to be starting over in a few more years unless something drastically changes. And nobody before the draft was predicting Bryce Young would be a major bust through year one, and CJ Stroud would be a borderline MVP candidate through year one. These right. extremes are unforeseeable. So there's a chance. It's, it's entirely possible Justin Fields, if he were in this draft now, would be the best quarterback coming out of this draft right I mean every you know and again you I have this conversation with a lot of people and and you know it's no fault of the players it's just like when when Trevor Lawrence came out and everybody said he's a generational quarterback and now you're hearing the same you know Caleb Williams you know you know you don't know. You don't know till they play in the league. All you can do is evaluate their traits. You and I are not necessarily getting an opportunity to sit down and talk with them or spend time with them or talk to their coaches or, you know, which is what teams ideally do. And then you make a decision. But your point about Fields is 100% right. You know, I can't sit here and say what Justin Fields is like every day at the Bears facility. I don't know the answer to that. He may be phenomenal. And they may think, God, this kid, he gets it. He works at it. He's going to improve. You know, everything is is looking up. Maybe they deep down think, you know, hey, love the talent, but this kid, you know, it doesn't work. Who knows? We're not there. You know, that factors into the equation. Yeah, and and that is everything, by the way, because we can't have these conversations with coaches. It's not going to make it way publicly to the podcast. There have been other guys like Justin Fields before, and you talk with the coach, and it's very clear that, oh, the guy is just the same behind the scenes as he is out in front. Right. Decisions made. Um, so coaches, 
they probably have an idea already what they want to do. It's a matter they know. of how they go about it. Yeah. They yeah. know. They so know. I, I mean, they've been one. with Fields. They've been with Fields for three years. I mean, is this – wait, how long has Eberflus been there? Is this his second or third year? This is his second season there, yeah. Okay, so he's been with them for two years. That coaching staff gets he two years. You know, the quarterback coach two years. I'm sure it's the same offensive staff for the most part. They they know him. Um, you know, they, they certainly know how he plays, but they know the other things that are of equal or more importance that you and I can't possibly know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other guy that's, that's kind of a natural transition and the guy that was across from Fields, or at least on the other sideline from Fields last week in Arizona – Kyler Murray, similar discussion here. Jonathan Gannon's kind of said that's, you know, he's our franchise quarterback, no doubt. Pretty unequivocal words from Gannon there. Um, I, hate, I, mean, I hate to say it this way, but this would be, do you believe him? That's one of those, like, at the bar questions, huh? <laughs> to some degree. We're, we're, we're back. We're back at the bar. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, this this was a head coach starting the conversation. I, no, I don't. I don't. I don't believe anything that a head coach says about the next season when they're in the middle of a season. No. Okay. There you go. That's now that doesn't mean he doesn't believe it. I'm just saying that what a coach says now about the future, that I don't believe. Well, then, I mean, to say, like, what is it? He said, no doubt. Or I'm skeptical. I don't want to say I don't believe it because he may believe it, but I'm. it doesn't hold a lot of weight with me what a coach says now about the future. Even if it's no doubt he's a, he's a franchise QB. Um, well, let me – I would say this. I would say that the tape, that's all I have to go on. I mean, obviously, you had the very public thing with Kyler Murray a year ago with his contract – all I know about that is what's reported. You know, I don't know Kyler Murray. I'm not with him every day. So I'm not going to let all that impact, you know, like I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Kyler Murray's no good because of this. I don't know any of that. I just know what's reported. But I, what I will say is I would say based on tape study, I don't think Kyler Murray right now falls into the category of a franchise quarterback. I think he's a an individual play splash player. I think he's highly talented. He's got obvious traits. He throws a beautiful ball. He's got a big arm. Uh, he can throw with touch. He obviously is an explosive athlete. But whether it's a function of team, not being on a good team, and you know not having a real good O-line, for the most part not having great receivers, um, you know, that's hard to know, but I would say that the tape does not automatically, to me, say franchise quarterback. What's your thought? I would I would fall in line with that as well. I think he's been pretty solid this season based on coming in, you know, yep. Petsing's offense. It's been a little better than I would, would have guessed, and I mean that completely as a compliment. Um, but I would tend to agree with you. One, one thing that was interesting, scouting Murray very carefully – the last couple years, you know, he scares the heck out of you as one of those sandlot no players. Question. But he's a That's great it. example of what we just talked about. If you look yep. at the performance, he's been so much better as an on-schedule quarterback than an off-schedule one. He just happens to be the most dynamic off-schedule QB in the league, where it's he's more off-schedule than the other guys. He covers more area, runs around, throws deeper on those plays than other guys do. He's a yep. you know, high-risk, high-reward he kind of – he can be absolutely special. I mean, you know, again, that's that's what you get with a lot of these off-schedule guys, Andy, is they can be absolutely special. And then they make these plays that not every quarterback can make. But, you know, on the other hand, then it comes down to, 
the consistency of the routine. And, and I guess I'd like to see a little more of that from him. As you and I both know, when it's third and eight and a quarterback who's, who runs the structure of the play and completes a pass for nine yards and they move the chains, that's not a play that's going to be seen in, on any highlight. But those are really important plays. You know, so, you know, I think I think the 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 sort of the 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 mundane, the routine is is what you want to see more. We just spoke about that with Justin Fields. You know, you want to see more of that. We know they can be truly spectacular. Uh, Cody Swartz, my research guy, sent me some good Kyler Murray stuff recently. So they've done less read option with him than they were doing without him early in the year. It's been a smaller part of their offense. Still pretty productive, 5.1 yards a play. Earlier in the year, they were at 7.3 per play on read option. But both of those are top five numbers. The other one, Greg, that you might find interesting, and actually this one did not surprise me from having scouted him closely, um, his average depth of target when he's blitzed, when there's a fifth rusher, is 11.1 yards, which is second highest in the NFL. I was going to say, he throws the ball down the field when he's blitzed. I've noticed he, that. He's done that a lot. I mean, yeah. it's a huge – and it's – look, it, it, a lot of times you're throwing a one-on-one when you do that. So, I mean, I understand the logic yeah. of it completely. And, and because he's always been short, one thing he's mastered, and he's made a lot of throws like this over the years, and some I truly marvel at, is he can throw the ball falling backwards because he has to because, you know – He's short and he can't stop and step into it as people are getting to him. And he has a, a, a truly unique ability to make accurate downfield throws when he's falling backwards. Yeah, great, great point. So 11.1 depth of target, uh, second most in the league when he's blitzed. And then against four or fewer rushers, it's, it's 23rd most, 8.1. Right. Which is probably to be a, certainly I would have guessed that in the Cliff Kingsbury offense. You know, Drew Petzing's offense, that might surprise me a little because I think of Petzing as kind of the, the Kevin Stefanski school where we're going to move the pocket, we're going to run boots and floods, and those tend to be deeper balls overall. Which they do, by the way. You know, offense. I mean, that, they run a lot, that kind of stuff. Their run game is more important, I think. The way they run, it's it's a lot more what you'd call conventional basic runs as opposed to read option. And you said that they run less read option. I think that it's – I don't want to say it's the Kevin Stefanski offense – but I think they run, you know, more, what you'd consider more traditional, conventional runs. Yeah, and I, that's look great for Petsing too, because he spent a lot of his years in Cleveland as the QB coach around Stefanski, which means he's really for the run game. A lot of that's going through Bill Callahan. I think Stefanski would tell you that as well. Yes, One yes. Thing that Callahan's been incredible at, you know, he's like one of the old school originators of zone blocking and teaching that, and that's something they've always done really well in Cleveland. But they have integrated a, a really diverse gap scheme rushing attack in Cleveland where they're using yeah. pull blockers in different ways. And it, it's very obvious that Petzing has brought that philosophy. Oh, they, they, they did a ton of that against the Eagles this week. Diverse run game for Arizona. Yeah. Very yeah. diverse run game. Uh, and I think, there's some, I think there's a lot of value to having that. What's interesting, I'd love to see those diverse run games, how they impact your play action game as we're talking here. Hey, here's the other factor, you know. The cards are going to have a high draft choice. You're in the same boat, you know, with Murray. I mean, Murray did not have an offseason last year because of the injury. Now you have the same coaching staff because they're not getting fired. So you have the same coaching staff. They, they can work with them this entire offseason. The guy is really gifted in many ways. And, and, you know, so you know what he is. You know, 
most coaches do come in with a totally clean slate. You know, so when Gannon and Petsing got there, they're not concerned about what happened with Kyler Murray a year ago or two years ago. They're coming in, developing their own relationship, building upon that. You know, the like, like we both agree, the guy's very gifted and talented. So, you know, they know what they have. They see what's working. You know, they've had some success offensively since he's been back. Um, they just dominated the Eagles with the run game, and he was phenomenal throwing the ball on first down, which, you know, often goes along with a really good run game. You can generate some really, you know, consistent, sustaining pass plays, not not necessarily explosives, but consistent pass plays because he was something like 11 for 14 for 132, Murray on first down this past week, and their run game was really, really good, as you know. Um, I think the two backs – uh, all their backs combined for close to 200 yards. So, you know, do they want to start over? No, I doubt they're going to do that. I think they're going to view, you know, and again, this Gannon said he's a franchise quarterback. That's a term, but I don't think they're going to start over. I think Kyler Murray's going to be their quarterback. Yeah, interesting. And I know you're not a senior bowl guy either, Greg, because you got to stay there and do the matchup show at that time yep. of year still. But uh, it'll probably be, my guess is it's going to be Bears and Cardinals staffs coaching the senior bowl. He's they're going to have a lot of time to look at a lot of these these draft picks down in Mobile. All right, one other topic here. Hard left turn. You're not going to want to talk about it. I'm going to make you talk about it. Oh, boy. The ending, the ending to the Lions-Cowboys game, only because we talked about it on the podcast. Well, i got to tell you before. one thing, okay? This is going to surprise you. Number one, I didn't see it live, and i still not seen it. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know if you need to have seen it live for the discussion, though. It goes back. Okay. It goes back to the original point that I, I had before all this. I actually used Taylor Decker as the example because the Lions did this before Dan Campbell got there. These tackle eligible plays. Right. Why to agree or disagree? I think they should just be banned from the league and you just make the five linemen, two guys on each side of the center plus the center, automatically ineligible, QB ineligible, and everybody else is eligible and quit the, the bull crap of this reporting and not reporting stuff. So you're saying then that you'd have five linemen, obviously the quarterback makes six, and then you'd have the other five players or eligible receivers. Yes, so it's your eligibility is based on where you are aligned. and As and opposed the, to, you know, right. So, and not declared because this gamesmanship to me, and the reason I hate these plays, and I, and, and, on, and I love the Lions, I really, I, I do. Honestly, I was glad to see this blow up in their face because it's pure game. It's not football. It's gamesmanship. Right. You're trying to win well, between the snaps. Here's what I don't understand. I, I'm not an expert on the rules, okay? I'll be the first to admit it. Do, doesn't the official have to go tell the defense who's eligible? Yeah, and that's the part I don't like about it. So, yes, yes, yes. But 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 my point is this. So what's the point of trying to confuse them by having three guys walk up to the official? Because the official has to go tell the defense anyway. You're not – you know, you're not tricking the defense. It's not like, ooh, they don't know who's eligible. The official has to go tell them that, hey, 68 is eligible, 70 is eligible, whoever's, yeah. el you know, whoever it is. So you're not tricking them. So, you know, I, that's what I, again, I'm not taking yeah. sides because I didn't see it. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't understand that point. They're not they're not delivering certified letters to each player saying, "Hey, he's he, he's eligible. You got it. You got it. You got it. The, right. the play clock's ticking. They're down in the red zone, so the crowd noise is a bigger factor. The game clock's ticking. This is all happening in in real time, live time. 
right. until the official goes and announces it. But he's not. He, there's no way for him to know that each player heard him. So it's an, it's announced, and then you're hoping that the communication right. gets conveyed. And that's the part to me that's patently unfair with the whole thing is you're burdening defenders to have to listen to an official rather than to their coaches or teammates. There's no scenario, other scenario in football, where you are as a, as a player are dependent on listening to a third party's communication while the clock is moving in order to deal, do your job. I see your point. So my point then in response to what you suggested is what happens then if a team formationally tries to get tricky? Is it the same deal? In other words, let's say they want to have a wacky formation and there's only one player who's attached to the center and because they want to have some kind of spread formation. Yeah. So is it the same question that that next guy, even though he's not attached, he's not eligible because he's the next guy? Correct. The guy, whoever the two guys to the immediate left of the center and two guys to his immediate right are ineligible. Ineligible, and then figure right. We figure out your wacky formations from there. They will. They'll be less wacky. I get that. Right, and this way you don't have to worry about anything, and you yeah, you don't have to yeah yeah. Because it's all gamesmanship. That's all it is, and nobody's going to sit and say, "Oh my god, I missed the days when they threw to offensive linemen once a month." down in the tight red zone. I wish, well, why can't they bring that? No one's going to miss these eligible and ineligible plays when they're gone. <laughs> yeah, which I tend to agree with. I, I ran it by Dean Blandino, and, and he kind of, he didn't, you know, he, he's not, he's not going to stand on the table one way or another, but he didn't disagree with it either. Well, now, you know, it's, it's, should, so should that go by the, by way of, should the, should the, Tush push go by way of that as well, Andy. Um, I'm putting you on the spot yeah. here. Yeah, no, I don't, and I, I, I'm glad it's good. It's good podcasting. I've heard now we're we're doing it the right way here. Opinions. Um, my yeah, I think yes. I have this argument with my friends on the Eagles. In fact, I think yes, it should go away, and the reason is because it's a, a, an overwhelmingly boring play. And I know that's not <laughs> within the integrity of it. And you're right, what, because when it comes up. Business. It's an entertainment yeah. business. And it's a, it's so overwhelmingly boring. And I Look, it's not right now because it's a controversial. It's actually kind of fun right now because it's a controversial play. Right. It's, it's not with the, the intent of way, the way football was designed to be played. I understand that you're adjusting the rules more dramatically to get rid of the tush push than you would to me. It's a more dramatic adjustment than to get rid of the tackle eligible stuff. Right, right. Because you could argue QB sneak is, I mean, the, the my buddy on the Eagles, his argument is the QB sneak's the most fundamental element of that's That's football at its absolute purest. Man versus man, strength in the trenches. And that's not a bad argument. So I, but I, I don't like the play. If that's what you're asking. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it either. Now, I'll tell you when I do like it. Tell me what you do. When it comes up on film, and you like in your case, it's late now, five plays left in Buffalo. You get a tush push on one of those. Are you? You're not rewinding that film, I wouldn't think. No, I'm. I'm actually clicking to the next play. I do that as all right. Yes, I do. I didn't. I didn't want to admit that till you admitted that. That's exactly what I do as well. And I. Uh, I do appreciate the freebie when I'm watching the. It's funny. We I know. Football, but I don't want to watch too much of these play. I want. I want. Last night I saw who is it? Niners. Uh, and, and Washington. Washington had 46 snaps, and then I watched Tennessee and Houston. Both teams had about 55 or 60 snaps. I went to bed in such a great mood because I got so much done at the end of the night. 
We love football. I don't want to see more than 60 snaps in a game, though. I know. Isn't it the worst when you pull, when you know you have to watch something and we watch as much as we can and you see 78 plays? It's like, oh, yeah. It just, you just start with a bad taste in your mouth. You do. And certain defenses, you know, they're, they're not all equal. They don't, they're not going to line up and play cover two every snap. Some of these guys, no, the, defense, which I respect a lot. But, no, man, I don't always love watching their films. I got it. I mean, you've got to settle in. each play. You got to check who's on the field. And oh, no. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, all right. So we're, we're, we're actually, as we talk through it, sounds like we're, we're for getting rid of the tackle eligible because that doesn't help our film study. We'll keep the tush push because that makes our lives easier, even though it's really bad looking football. And we will continue to root, I guess, for anything that shortens these games that we still love to watch as much as possible. I agree with that. Good. All right. There's a summary. So that's it for behind the screen podcast. (laughs) I'm Andy Benoit. Hit that subscribe button. Appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week talking playoff football at that point. 